Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Awesome. You know what I think preaching is? I think it's an opportunity to engage with something that God is saying to you. Let that sit for a moment. So whenever I prepare anything, I often don't just... uh, have you, have you ever read the Bible like this? And I will smite thee. No, not for me. Have you ever done that? Well, I don't, I don't really select passages of Scripture like that. Oftentimes, uh, I'll select something that God's put on my heart. So about three weeks ago, God put this Scripture on my heart today. Now, that's what I'm here to do. You're here to engage with this. Because I think that God is going to say something to you. And so I'm going to preach this morning. What are you going to do? You're going to engage, you're going to agree. And I reckon that if you do that, it's almost like the message becomes alive in your heart. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, you guys are getting it. It's good. I'm, I'm expecting good things this morning. All right? So, uh, where do I begin? i tell you, one thing I did this week is I went to the New Eastland. Have you been there? Okay, so it sounded like a Pretty good amount of people saying yes. I went there on the opening uh, morning, but I waited till the sort of traffic had died down a little bit and all the rest of it there. But I went there to check it out. And I'm telling you, it looks amazing. And I went there for a specific reason because it was my birthday uh, recently and I had some birthday money to spend. I heard H&M were going to open. So I thought, I'm going to go there. And I bought this shirt, actually. Does it look all right? All right. Some of you just didn't answer. Cool. Thank, thank you, Jesus, that my identity is ground in use, found in you. So, amen. And, uh, and I went and I bought this shirt. And so, uh, actually, they, they have, like, good quality clothes, but they're cheaper clothes too. So I grabbed about, oh, I don't know, maybe six shirts or something. And, and uh, I walked into the change room and I hung them up on the hook, right? And, uh, and then, so, you know, I'm trying all the different sizes, you know. So I, I start to take my, my shirt off, and, and I, they have the, these, these lights, the soft lights, you know, but they have about five mirrors in there, and from where I was standing, I could see myself there, but also there, there, and there, and let me tell you, I was not impressed with everything that I saw. I was not impressed with everything. I, I thought that, uh, you know, when you go to these places, aren't they supposed to make you thinner? And make you look better. And you're like, I'm feeling good. I'm going to buy a shirt today. And, and I thought that's what they did. Well, these mirrors don't lie. And so I, I looked at uh, what I saw and I said to myself, you are going for a run tomorrow. And so yesterday I woke up and I did not really want to go for that run, but I remembered the mirrors, right? So I, I decided to go for a run. And um, I, I live in Moralbark. And if you live in Moorabark, it's all hills. It's all hills. There's no flat spot. So whenever you run, it's like you are going to get a workout. That's exactly what happens. So I started going for a run and, and I started going up this hill. And it's the kind of hill where you go up and you're about a third of the way and then it dog legs left and then it dog legs right, but you're still going uphill the whole way. It's one of those ones, you know. And so I'm sort of about three quarters of the way up and I'm getting tired, all right? So I'm ready, just about ready to give up. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I've done so good already. I've already woken up. I've got here. I've run. I'm nearly three quarters of the way up this hill. And I'm just about to give up. 
And then I remembered the mirrors. I said, you better keep going. And so I did, and I kept running, and I made it all the way to the end, and I celebrated. I felt pretty good about myself and, and, and got there in the end. But that's actually kind of what I want to talk about this morning. Because I reckon it's real easy for you to give up when you're on your way. Real easy for you to do that. Let me read a scripture to you this morning. It comes out of 2 Corinthians. Oh, this is not what we want. Here we go. For God who said... Let light shine, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Let me read that again because I think that's really good. Has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you love us. And this morning, I believe that you're here to speak to all of us. And so God, we give you this next 30 minutes and we ask that while we're sitting and listening, that your spirit is testifying to our hearts. So it just doesn't become this religious experience where we go in and listen and stand and sit and leave unchanged. But God, that we would be different having heard what your word says, having heard what your spirit says to the church, we pray that we would be transformed. And Father, this morning, I pray even that there would be a renewal of our mind that our minds would be renewed, that they'd be reconstructed, that maybe we'd start thinking about things differently. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak, and this morning that we would listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever wanted to quit anything? You ever wanted to quit anything? Just, I mean, some of you have been on the earth longer than others, so you have more experiences, you know, more things that you might have wanted to quit, you know? But it's like, I don't know if you've ever wanted to quit anything. I remember... In high school, given the opportunity, I probably would have quit math because no one's using that these days. I just don't see the point in using that addition. Come on, that's, that's, no one's using that. And multiplication, you don't need that. That's probably what I would have hoped for. I've worked a couple jobs that I've wanted to quit. One job in particular where I would wake up every morning just disappointed that the sun had risen. You know that kind of... You know, uh, the, the sun comes up, you're like, why? Just another couple of hours. Truth be told, when I was waking up, the sun wasn't even up. You know, it was just a terrible job. I would wake up every day wanting to quit that job. And the only reason that I didn't quit it is because I felt like God said, you're not allowed to quit yet. So I'm inclined to do what Jesus tells me. So I didn't quit, but I definitely wanted to quit that job. I wanted to quit it so bad. I know sometimes on the way home from a basketball game, if I was playing... 
I was got out in a fast break. Someone passed the ball down to me. I missed an easy layup. Boy, I wanted to quit right then. I'd get in the car. This would happen to me. I would get in the car and I would drive home. And I would replay that moment over and over again in my head, just remembering that easy layup that I missed. And I thought, man, I, I, I just want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm ready to just throw in the towel and quit halfway through the season. I could do that. My dad, he raised me to not be a quitter. He wouldn't let me quit. In fact, I remember being a little boy sitting on the edge of his bed and he would sort of sit down to me and talk to me about goals and one step, two step, how are we going to get there? He bought this book for me. It was this little book by Michael Jordan and basically it was about working hard and not quitting. And I read that book and I said, yep. And so he just sort of raised me to be that way. But I tell you, man, there were times when I definitely felt like I wanted to quit halfway through the season. Just didn't want to play anymore. I know plenty of Christians that do life that way. They want to quit halfway through a season, especially if it's a tough one. They want to quit. They want to throw in the towel. They want to walk away. And I think it's so sad when people are moving forwards, maybe in their call or moving forwards in what God is asking them to do. And they feel like they just want to quit just because the season got hard or the season got tough. And sometimes people can even be intimidated by what's coming towards them. So you get in your car and you see a couple of speed bumps ahead of you and you think, nah, forget this. I'm going to turn around. I don't want to hit the speed bumps. Man, how many of us realize that when you are driving through life, there are speed bumps and you're going to hit them? But there are plenty of people that halfway through that season, they want to quit because they see the speed bumps coming or they go over it and they think, no, that's it. I don't want to do it. Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians in a moment when he was really suffering. He was going through some really tough stuff. He was going through hard seasons. I don't know what kind of seasons you've had in your life, but... I feel kind of confident this morning in saying to you that whatever you've been going through, Paul probably went through worse. There are so many tough things that happened to him in his life. He was stretched. He was pressed. He got beat down so many times and he knows what it feels like to go through a really hard season. And so Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians because they had this kind of belief or this idea that, that, that if you're a Christian, that you should never, ever go through suffering. Have you ever been a, a part of a church like that that thinks that, you should, you, that you'll should you never go through it? And if that's something that you've heard all the time, like I understand it, it's just that you probably need to explain it to all the disciples who ended up being killed for their faith. Actually, Jesus said this. He said, you will be my witnesses, but you'll probably know that Witness, witnesses means martyrs, right? So you'll be my martyrs. Actually, suffering is something that happens and it's a part of that life that we live. But if you have no room in your theology, by the way, if you're new to church, theology just means what you really believe to be true about God. If you've got no room in your theology to believe that actually sometimes suffering will happen, you may be inclined to think the exact same way as the Corinthians. And the problem is that they're looking at the suffering that Paul is going through. And this is the conclusion that they arrive at. They're like, Paul, you're doing it wrong. You, 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 you know, Paul, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be suffering. 
Paul, if you're a Christian, then, then I, I, we've heard about what's happened to you. There is no way that you could be following God because anyone following God doesn't have to go through what you go through. So they start to narrow the window on who Paul was and they say, you're not really an apostle. Because if you were really everything that you say that you are, then there's no way that you would go through any of that suffering. You wouldn't go through any of that. You're not everything you say that you are. This is a major problem for people because if you start to head towards a season that you believe God is calling you forth into and you start to encounter suffering, what will you be inclined to think? That you're going the wrong way. And yet God could have called you and spoken to you, but you hit a speed bump or see one coming. And there's no room in your theology for being a Christian and suffering. Just ask John the Baptist who had his head lopped off. Hello? The truth is, is that we see this stuff in the Bible, but if every time you go through suffering, you're like, oh, this is the wrong way. You're just going to turn and run every time. Now, let me tell you, this is where the rubber really hits the road for you guys this morning. Some of you guys may be ready for this. Some of you may not be ready for this. All right, here you go. You ready? You're a minister. You're a minister of the gospel. In fact, I kind of think in some ways more minister than I am. People think that I'm a minister. No, no. I, I equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's my job. I mean, come on, I've got to minister too, right? But we are all in this together. The truth is, is that my job is to come here and to speak to you guys and maybe teach some things and encourage you and give you some hopeful things and all the rest of it. But you are supposed to be going out and doing the work of the ministry, so you've got to understand that there is a call of God on your life. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is how to actually engage in that because it's my fear that if you don't have any room in your theology for how suffering can sometimes happen to Christians, as you start to walk forwards in your ministry call, you might just tuck tail and run because you think, oh, this could not possibly be it because why would God call me to go in this direction and then leave speed bumps? I mean, like all over the place. Come on. This can't be God. Do you know in the Old Testament, the way that people would connect with God is oftentimes they do it with a priest. So there would be the high priest and they'd go in and he'd pray. He'd walk in and walk around the Ark of the Covenant. He'd pray and intercede on their behalf and ask for the forgiveness of sins and all the sins. And even the ones that you don't know you do, he'd ask for forgiveness for all of that. Except that after Jesus Christ came and died and was resurrected, something really significant happened at His crucifixion was that when He died, the veil that separated the Ark of the Covenant from the people of God was torn, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. It was torn apart. And as it was torn apart, what it was really, God was saying to them is like, you now have direct access to me. So you don't need to live your calling or your life vicariously through some priest or minister who gets up and speaks to you. No, you have a call. You've been called. You've been created. You've been designed for something. The veil was torn so that you could have direct access to God. And as a result of that, start to live out this ministry call that you've got. In fact, this is what Peter said. He said, you're a royal priesthood. Now, if you're here today, you're not a Christian, 
honestly, that doesn't include you because actually you have to be a child of God. And the way that you become a child of God is you just ask Jesus for forgiveness of your sins and receive God as your father. Now, when you do that, you're the child of a king. Now, if you're the child of a king, you become royalty. That makes sense to you. Amen. So when you become royalty, that means you're part of a royal priesthood. But you're part of a priesthood. There's a ministry call that you're supposed to live out. There's a ministry call that's actually on your life. And when you do what you're called and designed for, you may hit some speed bumps along the way. Don't turn around. Don't turn around. Here's what Jesus said. He said, you'll have trials and tribulation, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Actually, it's funny because Paul says the same thing just before the verses that we read today. He says a really similar thing. He says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Do you know what it means to not lose heart? It means don't give up. Don't give up. And Paul is so good at saying this. And he doesn't just say, don't give up because you shouldn't. He says, no, 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 no. There's a reason why you shouldn't give up. There's a reason. And, and, and here is the reason. He says, there's something inside of you that will strengthen you. Don't give up because there's something inside of you that's going to strengthen you. It's a treasure and it's inside this jar of clay. But don't give up because whatever that thing is, it's going to strengthen you. Let me tell you what the treasure inside of you, let me tell you what it is not. It is not your talent. Can you imagine if you just leaned on your ability to be so talented? You think about if you're an AFL footballer and you're involved in a terrible accident, you become paraplegic, you just lost your talent. If that was the thing that you're supposed to lean on in times of trouble, you just lost it. So you're in big trouble. It's not your power you know, like, I used to work with some people and they were in the sales environment. You know, it's kind of funny. And so they would wake up in the morning. I have one person. This is what she was like. She would look at it in the mirror and say, you are the tiger of your own jungle. You are a lion. You know, she started to talk to herself, but it's just talking to herself. She's like looking within for some significant power source that she'll be able to lean on in a tough season, but it's not your power. Man, let me tell you what it's not. It's not your title. Can you believe that some people actually might lean on their titles and position for their security, sometimes their identity? i got a business card. It says senior pastor. How many of you guys understand that just because my business card says senior pastor, it really doesn't mean too much when troubles come my way. I don't exactly pull out my business card and say, stop right there. I'm a senior pastor. You can't pass here because my authority doesn't really come from my business card. It doesn't come from my title. It doesn't come from my position. That's not where all the stuff is that I need to lean on life for security in times that are really, really tough. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said that this thing, whatever it is, it's a light that shines out of the darkness, not into the darkness, but out of the darkness. I think that's really awesome. Have you ever lost keys? And what you wouldn't give for a torch so you could find your way out? Or how I have driven my car and both headlights have gone out at the same time. Not an idea I would encourage you to pursue, okay? 
But what I wouldn't give for a couple of headlights so I could start to see my way out from where I am. The Apostle Paul says that this thing, whatever this treasure is, it's so great. It's so amazing that it becomes like a light in your life that shines out of the darkness. And I'm kind of concerned that when I tell you this, it's going to be lost on you. Because it's so simple and it's so easy, you might just sort of pass it on by. What I want you to know is what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to explain to you is the very thing that kept Paul sane and kept him keep going in the toughest seasons, tougher than you've probably handled. So that's how significant this thing is. Are you ready for it? Oh, come on. We talked about this and you were going to engage. We talked about this. Are you ready for this? Oh man, I'm so glad you said yes. You were going to get it anyway, but it's just feel like you want to hear it now. So that's good. Chapter four and verse six, we already read it. He says, knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Some of you said, amen. Some of you said, my life is no better off hearing that. I mean, I don't even know how to apply it. What would I do with that? Oh, good. Let me explain something to you about that word glory. It's like the knowledge of the glory of God. The, the glory of God is brightness, which I think is awesome because it's that light that shines out of the darkness. It means brightness. It means splendor. It means to behold who Jesus is or who God is. It means to behold His majesty, His magnificence, His prominence. It means to, this is what it actually says. You look it up in the, in, in the Greek and it says to think and consider the stars and the sun and the moon. In other words, you consider how big, how powerful, how magnificent, how almighty God is. And here is the part. Now, a lot of people, you, you probably already knew that, right? But this is the part that I think is hands down some of the best stuff you'll hear anywhere. It's in the face of Jesus. What does that mean? All right, let me explain it. When Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin, it meant that all of that stuff became directed and focused and intent on you. It's in the face of Jesus. Where is Jesus looking? Man, He's looking at you. Do you know what the Bible says? It says that He actually intercedes for His saints. Who are the saints? You are. And it means that the face of Jesus with all the glory and all the magnificence and all the promise and everything that He is, if you behold the face of Jesus, you'll realize that it's directed at you. And that relationship in the context of love means that that stuff is available and accessible to you. In fact, get this, it's what it actually says. It says that our bodies become temples for the Holy Spirit. This is crazy. This is crazy. What I'm saying to you this morning is that God, somehow, in a way almost too impossible to imagine, places that magnificent, almighty, unimaginable power in us. In us. He puts it in, it's somewhere in here. It's outrageous. It's crazy. That immense glory in what? In a, in a jar of clay. If you haven't figured this out, you're the jar. You're the jar of clay. In fact, I mean, if you, if you read the Bible and you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, it says that God made Adam out of the 
earth. He made him out of clay and he breathed life into them. You're the jar of clay. And what you might not realize is that a jar of clay was an ancient metaphor for human weakness. And so God takes this incredible authority, power and dominion, and he places it in this jar of clay, which is really to say in this frail body of human weakness. Why shouldn't you give up when you come and you encounter hard stuff? Why should you not give up? Here's why. Because God's power will surpass your weakness. Because God's power will surpass your weakness. And the reason why that's so important is that if you could give up, if you hit a big enough speed bump, or if you see it coming, you could turn around, you could go back the other way, but you could actually give up if you hit a big enough speed bump. Here's what I want you to know. No matter where you are today, there is a treasure in you. And this is it. Are you ready for it? Let me just say it in contemporary English. God knows where you are and He has the power to lift you out. And that idea was the light that shone out of the darkness, which meant that when Paul was going through the hardest, toughest season of his life, it was that ray of hope that pierced the darkness. And he said, God knows where I am. He is able to lift me out of this experience. God's power overcomes your weakness. Paul the Apostle, I mean, this guy is like the Energizer Bunny of the New Testament. Does anybody remember the Energizer Bunny? It keeps going and going and going. And why won't you die? Paul didn't quit. There were times when he felt really weak. I mean, he says that, but he didn't quit. And you know what he was doing? He just kept preaching the gospel. It's one thing to not quit in doing what you're not supposed to do. It's another thing to keep going and doing what God called you to do. He didn't quit. He kept on preaching the gospel. He didn't give up. It got so hard for him at different points in his life. And I reckon it's the same for people. Many are called. Fewer are ministering. Many are called. Fewer are in ministry. But many are called. Many are called, but fewer are doing it because they saw the speed bump and they didn't want the weight of leadership to rest upon their shoulders. Many are called, but they didn't want the weight and responsibility of pastoring someone else. Many are called, but they didn't want to do it. But many are called, fewer are ministering. This is what Paul says. He says, man, I'm afflicted, but I'm not crushed. He's saying this to the Corinthians. He's saying, yeah, 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 yeah. You see me afflicted, but you will never see me crushed. I'm just afflicted. There is stuff that's afflicting me. It's coming against me. It's, 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 it feels like it's harming me. It's certainly irritating me, man. But even though you see all the affliction that's happening against me, you're not going to see me crushed. Man, I wonder what's trying to crush you. What's afflicting you? What's trying to crush you today? What experience are you looking back on? You know what your history is like. It's like trying to drive and looking in the real vision mirror of life, focusing on something. You can't drive forwards looking in that mirror the whole time. You're going to have a crash. You got to stay forwards and stay focused. Don't focus always on the failures of your past. Maybe it's an experience somewhere back there. You keep dragging it up. So I believe in the resurrection, but could you stop resurrecting your problems? 
You know, sometimes God just wants to deal with it and leave it. Man, that's my testimony. I'll tell you right now. I kept on saying sorry to God for the same thing over and over. One day, I'm not even kidding. This is what I heard him say. Shut up. He said, would you shut up? I have to listen to you pour out your heart about the same sins over and over. Could you just, can you just move on? Because I am. What's afflicting you? Some kind of experience? Is it some, some relationship that's afflicting you? Maybe it's your finances. Something's afflicting you. Man, you don't have to actually get crushed. He says perplexed, but not in despair. Have you ever wondered where God is or what he's doing in your life? Man, I have. What are you even doing? Are you even paying attention to my life? Have you ever felt like that? You're perplexed. Paul must have been in so many situations where he's like, are you kidding me? Where are you? He's like, I thought we were going here. He says, I know, but we're actually going over there. He's like, well, I'm perplexed by this. I don't know what's going. Man, I have felt confused by God. Have you ever said, all right, how about this? Have you ever prayed and said, but I thought, fill in your own circumstance. But I thought, he's like, yeah, I know you thought. Stop thinking, you know, it's like, just trust me, all right? Like, I'm going with you, okay? It's like, you're perplexed. You're like, God, where are you? He's like, man, I told you, I made you a promise. I'll never leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Can we just settle it right now? You don't actually have to worry about whether God's leaving you. He's more committed to you than you are to him. So whenever you feel like you're perplexed, God, I don't know where you are. He's right beside you. It's what Paul says. He goes on, he says, I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. Have you ever had a situation where you feel like the whole world has turned against you? It's pretty isolating, which is to be forsaken. When you're all alone and you're isolated. Paul says, man, I have been isolated so many times in my ministry when everyone turned on me, the crowds turned on me, but I'm not forsaken. He was persecuted. I don't know how you've been persecuted. Man, This is the kind of guy that Paul was. He went out, he preached the gospel. One day he got beat so bad, they dragged him out of the city dead and the disciples got around him, prayed, he was revived. He came back to life. And you know what he did? He kept going. Because he is the energizer bunny of the New Testament. He... This is what he goes on to say. He goes, struck down. You know, he says, struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Have you ever been hit by something so hard you don't think that you can get back up? Oh, you really got hit. And he said, that's it for me. I can't do this. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to walk away. This could not possibly be my call. And yet if Paul had have said that, we wouldn't have most of the New Testament. They're written, they're his letters in pursuing the call of God. There was stuff that occasionally would come his way. There was suffering. Even Jesus understood this. And the, the, the light that Jesus had in the midst of everything that was coming against him. He's in a conversation one day with Pilate. He says, don't you know I can free you? And he says, you only have authority because my Father gives it to you. Because he knew the same thing that Paul did, which is that God knew exactly where he was. And he always had the power to get him out. Let me, let me sidebar for a moment, if I can do that. Your enemy, Satan, he will never tell you this, by the way. In fact, he'll tell you the opposite. And this is how you know you're listening to him. He says, God can't save you. He says, God can't help you. He 
He says, God can't get you out of this situation. Or maybe how about this? But he doesn't want to. And he starts to make you feel like you're isolated. <laughs> Let me tell you something about your adversary. He knows he can't be victorious. So he just hides your victory in your affliction. He knows he can't be victorious. He just hides your victory over him in your affliction. Because every time you're afflicted, if you're just looking at the affliction, you forgot who your father is. You forgot the face of Jesus. You forgot all the majesty, the power, the magnificence. You forgot that that was all over you. Man, if you really want to crush Satan, here's how you do it. You keep going, you keep persevering, and you be faithful with whatever he's called you to. Man, I have found that's the best way to crush him. Because if all he has to do is throw out a speed bump in your life and you tuck tail and run, man, you're easy. He's just going to pick you off. But if you say, I don't care, God, here's my prayer. Give me a four-wheel drive. I'm going to go so quick over that speed bump. Nah, forget it. Or give me a tank or something with it, but just give me something. I'm going to keep going. You want to crush Satan? Be faithful. Keep going and persevere. Man, I've got to tell you, there's a treasure in you. And that treasure in you is that God knows exactly where you are today and He knows how to get you out. He's got the power to actually do it. Let me read a scripture to you. This is, this is the Apostle Paul. Here's what he went through for some of you that don't know. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. 39 lashes is what you get for blaspheming God. So here is the guy that's doing everything right and gets whipped 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that was without a joint. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. All right, you ready for this? In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Can you imagine your own people? Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. What was that show? Danger, danger. It's like he could have really benefited from having that little robot. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Are you kidding me? In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? I will boast of the things that show my weakness. You know why Paul boasted about the things that show his weakness? Because he knew that in Christ, even though he was weak, that the strength of Jesus would come through his life. That's what it says is that where I am weak, he is strong. It's something that he's put inside of us and it's actually himself. I used to drive a 1.5 liter Mitsubishi Lancer and I love that car because it was cheap on fuel. You know, when you're a teenager, you're like, how much power does it have? And then you become like a dad and you're like, fuel economy, all right, it's gonna cost me a lot of money. Okay, how cheap is it to insure? All right, so I, I got this 1.5 liter Lancer, all right, but it's wearing and it's, it's getting old. And one day uh, I got an upgrade. I got a Subaru Impreza, thank you, Jesus. And then I drove my car in one day. I got out of my car. I walked around to the new car and I sat in that one. And I was in a new car. 
pretty easy. You know, your spirit will actually do the same thing. As easy as it is for me to get out of one car and to hop into something new, your spirit will do the same thing when you die. And you'll get out of the body that you're, you're just using this thing right now while you're on earth. You just, it's just here. It might be weak, and, but it's, you're just using this body. Who you are is actually on the inside, but you're just using this to drive around in. You know what I mean? Some of you need your licenses, but anyways, like, no, I'm, that's a joke. But you're just using this thing to get around. But here's what will happen. You'll die and then you'll get out of this vehicle and you'll get into one, another one. And when you get into that one, here's what the new one will do. It will never perish. It won't die. It's eternal. It lasts forever. It's, it's like going from your Lancer to your Ferrari. How many want a Ferrari? All right, you've got to die first, okay? So that's the thing you need to know. You've, you've, got, to, you've got to die before you can actually get that. But, you know, I, I reckon that when we get into that new vehicle, whenever it is, we can't understand this now, but we, when we get there, we'll, we'll look at eternity. And this, this will seem like such a small, tiny little space in the life of eternity. And I, I don't know, I just kind of think that when we get there, we'll look back on this and say, why did I give up? Why did I tuck tail and run? Why don't I endure when times get hard? Now that I can see everything, I look back to that. It's just, it's almost a distant memory. You know, I want to tell you guys some things about how to endure because I think it's so important. This is what Paul was saying. You need to first realize a couple of things. If you pursue your ministry call, you will encounter opposition. You got that? All right. If you do what God's called you to do, you're going to have opposition. Can you just imagine for a second? Just imagine for a second, if I go to play basketball, I get onto the court, I'm ready. And uh, the refs are there. And right before we play, the other team shows up. I'll look at them. I'll look at the ref and say, what, what, what the heck is this? I say, what did you think was happening here? You thought, I, I thought we were just shooting hoops. And now you tell me that these guys are going to get between me and my goal is like, yeah, what do you think? They're just going to let you score? I'm like, well, this is ridiculous and I've had enough and I'm out of here. I'm going. It's like, that guy is crazy. But some Christians are crazy because when the opposition shows up, they're like, this is ridiculous. I've had enough. I'm out. you got to expect that they're not going to let you do what you're supposed to do. They're not going to let you live out your call. There's going to be opposition, man. And not only that, you're going to be confused at times. God, where are you? You're going to get some things in life that seem unfair and you may get knocked down, but by the grace of Jesus Christ, man, I'm telling you, you're going to get back up. There is a treasure that is inside of you, which is a light that will pierce through your darkness right now. And here it is, is that God knows where you are right now today, whatever you're going through, He knows it. And you can keep going because in a moment, any moment that God chooses, He can lift you right out of that. He's gonna lift you right out of that circumstance and situation. Now, if you've ever been confused about where to go or what to do or who to speak to, I'm going to give you the best advice you're going to get anywhere. You ready for it? Look at the face of Jesus. Because His face is connected to His power. His face is connected to His authority. 
His face is connected to His majesty, His magnificence. And all of that is being poured out in you and for you. Why? Because God loves you. You're never going to have to worry about calling on Him and seeing the back of His head. Because every time you look to Jesus, He's already looking to you. It's like some of you just need to stop looking at what you're looking at and maybe just turn and look at Jesus. So I'm going to look right here in the spot because this is where I need to be. God, I need the power to get out of it. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.